Up next, WFHB News Director Cade Young talks to an IU law professor about gun laws in Indiana. In the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment, which was ratified in 1791, read, quote, A well-regulated militia, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed, end quote. The 2020 legislative session rekindled the gun debate in Indiana with various state legislators in both parties drafting bills to reform gun laws in the Hoosier state. Indiana University law professor Judy Madeira is currently involved in a research project assessing how Americans talk about firearms and associated benefits, risks, rights, and regulations, according to her IU biography. Madeira also teaches a course where she talks about the history of the Second Amendment, its original meaning, and judicial interpretation. She explained the origins of gun policy after the Bill of Rights were added to the U.S. Constitution. Well, for the, really for the first 200 years, they interpreted it as not being individual right to bear arms. They interpreted it as pretty much a militia-bound right. And I'm pretty confident that that was because, you know, the early founding fathers didn't believe that people actually had rights to guns themselves. Uh, rather, the, the right to own a weapon was a communal right. Madeira then broke down the subject of gun violence in Indiana. She said there has been an increase in homicides in Indianapolis. Furthermore, there exists an increase in young people committing suicide. Madeira explains. Indiana is 19th in the country in gun violence, um, which is not a great position to be in. You have to look at certain patterns of gun violence that are common in certain areas of Indiana. So obviously in Indianapolis, we're having a huge increase in the number of homicides, right? Across Indiana, we're having huge increases in the number of suicides, particularly youth suicides. According to the Center of American Progress, the burden of gun violence falls disproportionately on people of color. Madeira said it's important for journalists to ask the right questions when it comes to violence in urban areas. There's an, a minority trend that's happening, actually, where gun rights groups are starting to co-opt people of color with respect to showing that people of color support gun rights. That trend is occurring everywhere across the country, in Indiana as well. The trend that really catches attention is, you know, the disproportionate rise of gun violence in certain areas of Indianapolis, highly populated by minority residents. And so black people are overwhelmingly likely to get shot. They're likely to get shot as a result of criminal violence, not unintentional violence. There has been several theories for that. You know, some, some say that it's gangs, some say it's drugs, some say it's increased police presence, you know, in case it's a cop on suspect shooting. But I think the conversation that is situated around people of color and firearms is overwhelmingly situated about the urban gun violence problem. She said mental health services in Indiana are lacking. She said a conversation about mental health should go hand in hand with gun regulation, particularly with regard to suicide. Indiana also has some pretty dismal mental health statistics as compared to the rest of the state. Um, so I think suicide in the state, uh, last I saw, is increasing at a higher rate than in other states. We have no child access prevention laws, really. We have laws that basically say that an adult who gives a child a firearm knowing that child's going to commit a crime with a firearm is liable for a crime. You know, short of that, there is no negligent storage responsibility. That would be a wrongful death suit and, you know, civil tort. But there's really no consequences. So that means that under Indiana law, guns can be readily available to youth without penalty. In addition, we all know that mental health services, especially for children, are very, very hard to come by. Not everyone has insurance. These things are very expensive to obtain. There's sometimes a lack of therapists, particularly in rural areas. Um, I've known people myself who have children who are very troubled, but who cannot access mental health services until they are actually at some point in the criminal justice system where it's, it's a point of no return, right? So the kid has to get in trouble at a certain level to get eligible for family therapy, family counseling. 
From 2008 through 2017, 5,000 people in Indiana died by gun-related suicide. This means a gun suicide occurred every 17 hours, according to the Center of American Progress. This issue hits home to Jody Madeira. Her nephew died by a gun-related suicide four years ago. In 2016, in January, I had a 15-year-old nephew who lived in New York who committed suicide with a firearm um, hunting rifle in the house. And they did everything right. The hunting rifle was stored in a safe, locked, ammo stored separately. Every parent thinks that their kid doesn't know where the gun safe key is. A lot of kids do. And, you know, that just goes to show that even despite these laws, there are things that we can prevent and there are things we can't. But the more tools we have and the more people are willing to talk about this, you know, for example, uh, pediatricians or even friends and neighbors saying, hey, I know you have a weapon. I know you're going through this period of time. Do you want me to keep your weapon for you? I'm licensed. I can do that. I'm willing to do that. You know, those conversations need to happen in order for things like this to be prevented. But sometimes you just can't. It's just going to happen. And again, I, I don't think there's anything that they could have done other than You know, I think he had an anxiety and depression, but mitigated it through playing sports. And there was absolutely no sign that this would ever have happened. And, you know, um, studies show that basically you have 10 minutes often um, with people who who get this idea in their heads. And it's it's not like a long range plan, right? It's 10 minutes. And so and those are the people, again, like 90 percent who once they try, if someone stops them and they get intervention, that they're not going to try again. Madeira talked about the relationship between suicide attempts access to a firearm, and mental health services. It's not just important to talk about firearms, it's important to talk about mental health too. You know, and we've had several great partnerships, like the American Shooting Sports Foundation has a partnership with American Suicide Prevention Foundation, where they put literature in gun, gun retailers. You know, they, they want to get this in the hands of people who would be sort of suspect if it was just coming from American Suicide Prevention Foundation. And we need to make mental health services more available, but we also need to make firearms less available to certain people. You know, and I think red flag laws are a big indication there. You know, but there's big divides between people who think that every time you say, well, maybe this person shouldn't have a firearm, you're, uh, you're against the Second Amendment, you know. She talked about Indiana's red flag gun laws, which can allow for law enforcement to seize firearms from someone who is deemed to be a danger to themselves or to others. The other thing that comes into play that not so much with children, but I think a, a bit with youth, are Indiana's red flag laws. Indiana has a red flag law. It's one of a handful of states across the country, although more and more states have red flag laws. And so what basically you would do in Indiana, if you have those concerns, you would call your local police department and you would say, I think somebody is probably going to do harm to themselves or to another person in the future, or, you know, is going to do so now, and the police really evaluate that information. This is an inquiry where the police just can't come and get your guns. There has to be good reason for that to happen, right? And then if this happens, if there's a seizure of a firearm, then there is very strong due process protections that kick in when the firearms are removed. So there has to be a hearing within so many days, I believe within 60 days, certainly, and then there's a hearing at pretty frequent interval, you know, I think within 120 or 180 days after that where the the further on past the time when your guns were first seized, the higher the burden is on the government to prove that there's been no changed circumstances. If you're suicidal and you have your firearm seized, and then this crisis of suicidality passes, then the government basically has to show that nothing's changed. And so that burden is on the government and not on you. But I do think this is an important protection that people have if they, or a loved one or even a child, you know, that they have living with them has access to a weapon. They can actually do something about that instead of waiting for something to happen. According to the Center for American Progress, from 2008 through 2017, Indiana had the 17th highest rate of gun murders, with a rate of 4.19 gun homicides per 100,000 people. This rate is 9% higher than the national average. For WFHB, 
I'm Cade Young.